Welcome to Triple Threat, the podcast with Jamel President, where it's good news and good vibes all the time, baby. When we left Portugal to come play with you and your system, Jamel, it was the best thing for Shane because you, you, you pushed him to do other things outside his box. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Jamel President and on Twitter at President Jamel. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast as I'll be bringing you a new interview every month. Hey, what's up, guys? Coming up next, we got Raquel Thomas, who's a former student athlete uh, from Columbia, South Carolina. And in our interview, we talk about how sports was a crucial part in help helping overcome a lot of trials and tribulations in her life. Um, now, an entrepreneur, uh, an author, and doing some wonderful things in the community. Um, she's a great role model for y- a lot of young female athletes out there. So uh, without further ado, um, let's get into the interview. First of all, I want to say thank you for coming on. I really appreciate your time. You know, um, as we spoke before, um, you know, this platform is to educate, you know, educate families and communities just on the, the things to do to be a student athlete. So we love to talk to former student athlete coaches, people that have been in the game to understand, you know, what uh, they've been through so they can kind of give back, you know, give that, that information back. So I appreciate your time, you know, being on the podcast. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, we've had some really good conversations already. I think the last time we spoke was like, man, we should have been recording this for the podcast. <laughs> exactly. But we're going to try to get that same energy um, this morning. Exactly. Exactly. So we'll, you know, start it off. What we do with our guests, uh, Raquel, is that we kind of, you know, let them uh, take us back to um, uh, the elementary years, you know, you coming up and was sports a big interest for you? And, you know, how did, how did, uh, how did the interest level, you know, uh, came up in your early part of uh, coming up? So, you know, it was crazy. Um, I was in the, uh, so it was like third grade and my neighbor, who's like family, got a basketball court for Christmas. Well, basketball goal, because there's no court. We lived on a dirt road. Um, and that was the first time I touched a ball. So I'd never touched a basketball prior to that. You know, we would play kickball, mm-hmm. kind of create a fake volleyball net. But it was the first time I shot a ball and I could naturally play. Um, I went to school. I was telling one of my friends, one of my close friends, and her dad is kind of like one of those community dads. And she said, well, I play basketball at the park. And I was like, oh, really? I didn't even know kids play ball, <laughs> recreational sports, because I'm in Columbia, South Carolina in the hood, if you will, um, parents, both drug addicts. So I don't have any mm. experience or family or anything that plays sports. Mm. So I didn't, I didn't know you could play recreational sports. Mm. So she told her dad, her dad happened to, um, be best friends with my uncle who had passed away by now when they were in high school and they played football together. 
So she goes home, she tells her dad, her dad comes up to the school. He was like, Raquel, I know you, I know your whole family. If you want to play, I'll come get you every day. Wow. You know, Bridget plays at the park. I'm the coach. And it was history from there. Wow. Um, and he took care of me. Um, in all honesty, he bought my sneakers, uniform, um, and I could just naturally play. And he right. gave me all the tools I needed, you know, fundamental tools uh, to really get to the next level. So that was my experience in the beginning. Right. And, and it's amazing, you know, as we continue our our conversation, it's always a resource, right? It's always a help to get yeah. up to the next level. And that's why, you know, I tell parents and, and athletes all the time, you know, like you use your support system, right? And even right now, uh, I, I love to hear the stories about the recreational times. Were there recreational presence? Or, you know, if, if it wasn't, and then how do kids get to the next level? And there's always, if it wasn't, the recreational presence has always been someone in the neighborhood that, that, that gave that support. So same for you. I mean, that's, that's just awesome. So what happened when you, you start playing rec ball, then you, you kind of, it kind of like transition into high school, take us frame that for me. So you, you play rec ball and then you have seventh grade basketball tryouts. You can't play middle school, high school until the seventh grade. So as a sixth grade, you can't play. Um, so I played rec ball and, you know, the highlight was literally going and playing for our school, tried out for the team, made the team. Um, by the end of the season, I was the best person on the team. But at the beginning, it was a little bit of a struggle because now you're playing a different type of organized ball. Correct. Um, so when I got to middle school ball, it was kind of a learning experience all over again. Mm-hmm. But by the end of the season, it was go time. Um, mm-hmm. My eighth grade year. You know, I played both ways. I played middle school and high school. Wow. Um, so for me, I had people start to flock around me at this point when they saw mm-hmm. that I had some talent. Marcus Reese, he played for the Philadelphia 76ers back in the day. He's a native of Columbia, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. His grandmother and my grandmother played bingo together. And he was <laughs> back home from Philly and he was watching me play. And he said, I'm going to help you. He said, you can go to college. You can go to the next level. So that summer I mean it was be small after that like every day he picked me up at 8 a.m every day during the summer and we played and I played with the boys right he coached boys basketball he had a rec team for boys AAU Mm. and you know girls don't play AAU ball but I practice with them every day every single day and I remember he took me to Martin Luther King Park which is historical for female basketball and he said, you're going to play in this pickup game. And it was older women. I never played with this group of ladies. And I'm watching them play. And I'm like, I can't. Like, they're bigger than me. They're taller than me. They're stronger than me. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, you are just as good as the very best player out there. But, you know, you don't feel that initially. For sure. Um, he somehow got me on the team because they did not want me because I'm the shortest person. Mm-hmm. It's obvious I'm a baby, right? Um, got me in the game. Somebody got hurt. <laughs> He put me in the game and he said, as soon as you touch, he said, when you get the ball, don't give it back. Mm. He said, whatever you do, don't give it back. Mm. So I'm like, man, these ladies going to kill me out here. Well, I finally got the ball and I didn't give it back. I think I pulled up like at the timeline, right? Because this is what we practice. We practice sure. the three-pointer from the timeline. For sure. And when the first basket went in, it was like okay, we got we to gotta play defense. And that was it. Every time I walk in the gym, I got picked up instantly. But uh, Marcus Reese was really the pioneer to 
give me the confidence I needed because I didn't have it necessarily. I was mm-hmm. just a kid that played ball, a girl that played ball. I uh, got to high school. It was, yeah, everybody knew where I was by then. Mm-hmm. So it was a different confidence, a different swag. By the time I got to high school, we had a transition with coaches my freshman year, which was the best thing for me. Mm-hmm. She came from Swansea High School. Mm-hmm. And when she came in, she was a blank slate, you know? So mm-hmm. it didn't matter seeing her in front of you because she didn't know anybody. And uh, I remember playing in tournaments my freshman year and playing and starting by the end of the season. And, you know, probably wouldn't have been the case if we had the old coach, right? right. So my high career, I had a great coach. Um, I had great parents around me from the community. Um, the rec league kind of stood behind me and everybody was kind of working for the greater good. Um, my coach did a lot of my recruitment for me. Um, my senior year, she got moved to another school. Girl, so that I mean, was- I mean to cut you off. Before we get into your, your high school career, I want to just drive a point home about, you know, you saying that um, uh, he, he, he instilled a lot of confidence in you. Oh, and, yeah. and, he, and he instilled a lot of confidence in you. And that came from the, the, the 8 a.m. workouts, right? And not only that, the positive reinforcement and the support that he made you feel while you were working out and the confidence he gave you into going to the game. And I think Absolutely. that's what's missing in our intermediate level, right? Um, whether it's, uh, it's a girl or a boy, um, kids are not getting that fundamental fundamental support or that that confidence booster that they need. And that was cru- that's crucial for any athlete or any right. person in general. But it was it was crucial for you coming up and making that transition. So once that happened and you established yourself, yeah, take us back into high school where you know how much you averaged. You know who are your, your your high school rivalries, and then take us to you know the recruiting um, process and how all those things happen. Yeah, so for us, you know, high school rivals, and we had two. Keenan High School, uh, Sean Gorman went on to play in the WNBA. Um, she was the star there, and we had AC Flora, and AC Flora produced several uh, players that went on to play in college D one D two ball. So those were our rivals. Um, we pretty much rocked every other house we went into. It wasn't really much competition, but when we showed up for those games, you know, it was the best team that night that was going to win. Um, you know, I think my entire basketball career in high school, I averaged several figures, but by the time I was a senior, I was 27, 27, nine and four, 27 points, nine assists and four rebounds, you know, ran the point guard. And, you know, in high school, you can play every position. It doesn't matter how big you are, sure. you know, but uh, high school was uh, something. I think I had my career high, though. My senior year had 47 points in the game uh, regional, and we lost. We lost by one point in the regionals. I tore my rotator cuff in that game, as a matter of fact. <laughs> but it was uh, my best game of the season, best uh, high school career game. But it really is a testament to your teammates, too, right? Um, in high school, my teammates trust me. Um, and I, I don't know if I could really be the player I am without my teammates and, and the people that kind of rallied around me to help me. Um, so, you know, basketball was really a team thing for me, for sure. Right. And, and obviously you wanted to play at the next level. Um, where, who were, tell me some things that, first of all, how did you know about the requirements? Like, who were your help? of obtaining a scholarship um, and what were some of the, 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 the trials and tribulations you went through in the recruiting process and how, how did those things happen? 
So, you know, for me, like I said, my coach, my senior year, I had the same coach for three years, my senior year, some things happened at the school. So she wasn't there um, my senior year, but she came back and she had all my video. I mean, she, she said, you know what, I'm not here. She was coaching at another school and she said, you can transfer here and I can tell you how. And I said, I can't transfer my senior year. Like I, I bleed blue, you know, I'm a lady blue devil <laughs> and I bleed blue. I, I can't go to another school and shoot a ball for another school in my senior year. And she understood. Um, but she kind of took that recruiting process for me to the next level, but it was hard because I was playing on a new coach that wasn't as favorable mm-hmm. toward me because you're like the, the, the big shot, the, this, the that. So she really, we didn't buy <clears throat> but you know it was one of those things where she didn't have a choice right sure. you, you got to play the, the principal's not going to allow you not to play the star player and by now you know I'm at 3.8 GPA I can go to school on an academic scholarship or athletic but you know it's my dream to play ball at the next level so there are a lot of trials and tribulations for me my senior year and for a little while I didn't know if I was going to go to the next level to play because of the coach I had mm. so it was paramount for my um, high school coach Gina Cooper came back and got me into um, the school she went to <laughs> so you know that was kind of a blessing in disguise I had offers from almost every D2 school, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, mm-hmm. had two or three D, D1 offers. And I didn't go D1 because I wanted to play. Right. I didn't want to go to school and sit on the bench for a year, possibly two years. And I was realistic about my size. I'm 5'1". Right. And mm-hmm. by now, you know, point guards in college are 5'8". For sure. So I wanted to play. So I decided to go D2. And it was not the best experience, but I was more so focused on going to college and changing my situation. My, my passion was basketball, but college was my ticket out. And if I could play ball, great. And if I couldn't play ball, I still want to go to school, get an education because I wanted to uh, change my circumstance, how I was living, getting out of the hood. You know, I wanted to be successful. So it was bigger than basketball by the time I was a senior. For sure. For sure. In this timeout message, we got Terrell McIntyre. That was the main focus, really. Um, NBA. I didn't. I, I didn't think. I didn't think Europe at all. Never in a million years that I think I was going to play in Europe growing up. I didn't know that they even had basketball in Europe when I grew up. <laughs> you know, so that was something that that wasn't really a, a thought for me uh, growing up, even in college. Until it's crazy. Until it started getting to the point. <laughs> where I didn't know if I was gonna get drafted and ended up, you know, taking advice from uh, people instead of making my own decision. I kind of took advice from people doing what I thought was best for me without me actually making a decision, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's where I got I got kind of messed up at because I ended up going to Europe the first year and not really giving my NBA dreams a chance when I first came out. I just mm-hmm. took it as I get drafted, I'm in. If I don't, I'm not. Now let's get back to the interview. And changing some of those things, um, you know, enlighten us a little bit, if you may, just on some of the things you wanted to to change. Because I think, you know, hearing your story, you know, every 
you know, young athlete, whether it's a uh, student athlete, female athlete, especially young black athletes, probably familiar with your story. Um, share a little bit about, you know, like you said, coming out of the hood and not having the, that of uh, the resources and having the support from your parents. Um, what are some things you wanted to change and, and how did you overcome them? You know, so I must have played over a hundred basketball games and I think my mom came to one. Mm. Um, she just, I, that wasn't her priority. She really didn't believe in girls sports, especially basketball, anything that boys played. So I didn't have any support there. Um, my dad, however, hated girls basketball, right? <laughs> but when I started playing, it changed his life. I mean, it changed his world. Right now, my dad can tell you the best woman in the country. He can tell you the best shooter in the country today. You know, I'm 40. <laughs> so um, it changed his life in many ways. And he too was a drug addict, but he kept showing up even when he had to walk. And that matters to a kid, right? Sure. It matters to another woman. Um, but I didn't want to be like my dad walking to the game, getting on the bus. I didn't want to be like my mom, you know, not even caring enough to show up because of her drug addiction. Um, I went to foster my freshman year in high school and that was, man, you know, you think about foster care, Jay, yeah. you think about being a small kid, not a 13, 14 year old. Sure. So it was life-changing for me, but I was in a situation where nobody in my family could really get me back because they all had criminal charges. Mm. So I stayed in the system until my dad mm. stayed clean enough you know, they drug test them every week and he was able to stay clean long enough to get me out of foster care. But I stayed for, you know, six, seven months mm -hmm. as a 13, 14 year old. It's kind of terrifying, but I wanted to not worry about being raped, not worry about having to walk past the drunk people, the high people get into the school bus coming in at night I just wanted better. I didn't want to live in a trailer. You know, I lived in a trailer home. Sure. I just wanted a better life. And I knew that there was more because I had a coach that was very, very wealthy. <laughs> so she showed me some things that I would have never been introduced to if I had not met her. And I wanted that for my life. So for me, it was about using basketball mm -hmm. as a driver to get me out of the hood. And if I mm -hmm. could play and keep playing, phenomenal but if not I'm going to get an education because I cannot go back to this I didn't think I was going to survive in all honesty yeah. I didn't think I was going to survive and, and and that's the story I wanted to get out of you especially the audience the young you know females that's that that's listening you know you, you got to make a sacrifice too especially you know if you're going through child and tribulation at home this is the equalizer this thing can take you so many places that it's just all you need is a little bit uh, of of uh, in, in influence and just seeing people doing different things. Like you said, your coach was wealthy. She showed you different things, things that she's seen. You know, so it, you know, you you gathered a lather. You you, you gathered a, la a a a lather for that, and it made it happen. So while you playing in college, did you want to play the next level, or were your dreams and aspirations to just uh, get a degree and kind of move on from there? So I wanted both. I wanted it all. Like I didn't want one or the other, but I knew if one didn't work, the other one would. For That's sure. what I knew for sure. But I wanted it all. I wanted to go to college and have a great college career and go on to possibly play overseas. By the time I'm, you know, a junior in college, the ABA came about. 
And then the following year, I'm a senior, the w, WNBA came about. Um, but by then, you know, as a freshman, I wanted to go to the next level. As a sophomore, I'm kind of like, you know, my body is tired. <laughs> I started to get a little tired. You start to have the small injuries, the nicks, the nacks. Um, and by the time I was a senior, I just wanted to be a girl. So it changed for me. And I didn't know that as a freshman coming into college, as a freshman coming into college, I thought I wanted to go to the next level, go overseas, play ball. But by the time I was a junior, I realized I just wanted to be a girl. I just wanted to be a girl. I wanted to do the things that other college students had the opportunity to do. So after my college career, I actually hung up my basketball shoes. I no longer desired to go to the next level because my body was tired, mm -hmm. but I had an education. I got a great job coming out of undergrad, um, but I was tired by the time I was a senior. I no longer mm -hmm. wanted that dream. That makes sense. It made total sense. So Raquel, I came on you guys' podcast a couple of weeks ago. When I came in, it was a very heated conversation, right? Right. Which is segue into our next topic, um, you know, about you choosing the college and wanting to get to the next level. And I think one of the topics where Marvin, you, Marvin, and I were talking about were going to a bigger school versus a, 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 smaller, a smaller school, which HBCU, per se. Yeah. And I made a comment about, which I totally agree with, with both of you on, on the topic, um, and after thinking about it a little bit, I wanted to just add a little, a little bit extra to that and, and, and second your, your, your interest, your opinion, because what you were saying is, is, is actually true. But the question I want to ask myself is, how can we get those efforts? How can we condition those things to happen in the community, right? Because, you know, parents when like yourself, me, and half the 70% of the athletes out there, they don't have a support system to make a decision on schools, right? It's really one person that they trust or, or coaches influence that gets them there. But if they had a, a community effort per se to say, look, let's weigh out these options. You know, here's the HBCU, here's a, this, this college, which one works better for you now? Yeah, if they got the same type of playing time and the same things in game is the same, yeah, let's direct them to the HBCU. But if the HBCU doesn't work for them, then we shouldn't be directing, directing students, athletes to there if it doesn't work for them. But I do agree that more black athletes need to be going to these more HBCU and help building that up as well as they do these other institutions. I, I do agree with you. We should frame that for me. So, you know, I'm holding it for the HBCU. Um, I did two years at a predominantly white college. I did two years at an HBCU. So okay. I ended up getting my undergraduate degree from an HBCU. So I got to see it both ways, sure. right? I saw it both ways. And I'll say can this. Name, can you name those colleges too? Why you, um... So Coker College, which is in South Carolina. Okay. Um, and then I went to Virginia State University in uh, Petersburg, Virginia. Right. Um, and I'll, I'll say this, like when we talk about athletes and building programs, African-American athletes are the heartbeat of predominantly white schools, their athletic programs. And if you take that um, African-American athlete from that school, you really don't have a sports program, period. And, and we can toss that around however we want, but you take away all the African-American athletes from all programs, football, basketball in particular, what do you have? You don't have the same league. So my point on, on our show on Athletic Buzzers is if we want to truly build the HBCU, we have to get our kids to go to our schools. The HBCUs typically don't have the same funding 
they don't have the same resources as predominantly um, <clears throat> white schools. And there are two ways that schools really get money. One is it's student paying tuition. Two is the, co the college athlete. Athletics bring in millions and millions of dollars to schools. So instead of bringing in millions and millions of dollars into the predominantly white college, you can also bring in millions and millions of dollars into the HBCU because what I know for sure is cameras will follow the athlete. It doesn't matter what school you're at. If you're the best kid, <laughs> colleges, I don't care where you play, the camera will follow the kid. So we have not done a great job of educating our kids about the HBCU. And when I think about academia, and academia is very important to me, most Black kids would not go to college if there wasn't an HBCU because they wouldn't qualify academically to get into predominantly white schools from an academia standpoint. And when I look at college athletes, a lot of them go to junior colleges first because their grades aren't up to par. They are doing all the things they need to do to get to this predominantly white college to build their program. When we can do the same thing for historically black colleges and universities and understand our history, just from history, we would not be educated if we did not have the HBCU. HBCU still produce more doctors and engineers than any other, black doctors and engineers than any other college in the world. Right. HBCUs. And I totally agree, agree with you. And I think what we have to do as a community, see the, the, the media, right? The, 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 the commercials, right? They, they, they have, have, have made the narrative so strong that if you go to these schools, your percentage in, 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 in level of getting to the next level increases. We have to change that narrative and talk to the, the community and the student athletes and say, hey, look, these, like you say, the camera's gonna go where you take them. You, you know what I mean? So if we start conditioning families that not only, and, and think about take take NBA and take uh, playing professionally totally out of the the, the, the recipe. Just talk about getting the education and, 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 and graduating and starting a business and doing other things. So those are things we need to have, the conversation we need to have. And I think if we have this conversation, more of them, more athletes would consider, especially not in the major athletes, right? Cause you got, you got these D2 kids that can't play at a major edge of it. But if they, they feel like they, if I don't get a Duke scholarship, then I just, you know, I'm just right. done with it. I'm not right. going to another school. So those are conversations we need to have in our community. Right, you know, Ben Wallace played at Virginia Union. That's division two in HBCU, by the way. Yeah. Ben Wallace had a great NBA career. Um, we'll say this. Athletes like Bronny James, LeBron James' son, heavily considering an HBCU. They talk about it all the time. If Bronny James goes to any HBCU in the country, my friend, every chairman in the country is going to follow him, which will open up the door for more athletes to go to those schools. One of the quite, one of the things on our show is the facilities are so different. The facilities are so different. They are, but that's because the dollars are so different. The dollars are so different. When you have players like Bronny James come to an HBCU, then you will start to see the same dollars that filter through those predominantly white colleges and universities go into the HBCU. And now you'll start to see facilities being updated as well. You look at Deion Sanders and what he's doing at Jackson. How often have you seen a, a dang on D2 school on, on ESPN playing football? So if you have more coaches, more players of that caliber go into a division two 
or HBCUs, you're going to see the TV time. It will come, but it has to grow. There's a, there's a process, you know, you don't get there overnight, but over the next five to 10 years, you can create the same empire we've created for predominantly white schools at HBCUs and have this education there and still have the lights and the cameras, because that's what it boils down to. One of my co-hosts often talks about the lights and the cameras, because that was so important. Mm-hmm. Playing on that big stage was so important to him. We can create that same stage at the HBCU, but we first have to get the best athletes there. I agree. That's, a, that's an awesome point. Hey, what's up, guys? Check this out. If you're coming into the Charleston area, or maybe leaving at the Charleston area, and you want to avoid long lines and be greeted by friendly, sweet people, go check out Mark over at Avis and Budget Car Rental at 7685 Northwoods Boulevard. When you go see Mark and you mention Triple Threat Podcast, you receive 30% discount on your rental. They also offer compact to large SUVs and vans to rent with quick, easy transaction. And check us out. And limited mileage on most rentals. So give Mark a call at 843-572-3190. Don't forget to mention Triple Threat Podcast. And, and we both in our previous conversation talked about, you know, that it was a little space and time where you said you gave a basketball and you coached a little bit and then you came back to Columbia. Um, mm-hmm. Take us back, you know, you leaving college and that time frame of, you know, what were you going through mentally? And and because you said you, you coached and then you, you fell out of love with basketball, then you, you came to a game and some sort. Uh, take us back. Fill it right. with that. So, you know, like I said, I, my body was tired, so I didn't want to play. So I wasn't in love with the game anymore. And it, it was my first love. My very first love was basketball. I went out to California to work um, after undergrad and um, ran into a gym, just had some friends, his daughter played and started coaching and fell in love with the game all over again and mm-hmm. realized that I enjoyed coaching so much more than I enjoyed playing. Um, so I coached for two years and uh, came back to the East Coast and I kind of laid the ball down because I was making a lot of money during this time and I didn't have time to make the money and coach. So I set the ball out again. Um, and then I come home to Columbia for something. I don't know what I came here for now, but went to my old high school, uh, went to the gym because my middle school coach is now coaching at the high school and uh, went there and fell in love all over again. I was like, oh no, oh no. (laughs) So um, that actually led me back to Columbia in all honesty, my love for community, my love for the children here, um, especially in underserved communities. So I fell in love with it all over again, started working with kids, practicing. Uh, My little guy plays, so you know we're constantly in the gym working out, he's eight. But it was um, something about coming back home, something about being in that gym and seeing that blue devil on the floor, something about hearing the sneakers on the on the wood and and, and seeing the ball go in and hearing coach yell because I remember her yelling at us. Mm. And I said, you know what? I'm coming back home. I'm going to go home. I'm going to get my things in order, shift all my businesses, all the things I have. And I'm going home and I'm going to work with kids 
teach them my skill over the years. You know, I'd own, owned and operated several businesses, sold several businesses. So I said, you know what, I'm going to go home and I'm going to teach kids in underserved communities entrepreneurship. And in the midst of that, I'm going to help out at the rec. I'm going to coach. I'm going to help out at the high school and I'm going to enjoy the game again. And, and just have fun and be free. And that's what I did. I came back home and opened up a nonprofit organization, Dreamcatchers Foundation. And our focus is building character and teaching entrepreneurship to young people. Um, and, you know, I coach my son's basketball team at his elementary school. So it's kind of like being a kid all over again in some ways, you know. Sure. But now I'm working in purpose. Now I'm working in purpose. Awesome. And, and we're talking about, the, you know, applied experiences and we all been through many trials and tribulation experiences in our life you know how, how do your experiences um, um that happened to you how do you apply them to today right now so you started a business and all the things that you said you know you didn't want to revert to and you want to paint a paint a different picture for the young youth and young athletes coming up um through your organization how is how how are you doing that? What what what's the what's the you know the 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 niche of your organization? How do you work with athletes to your to do that? So one of the things is you know when you come back home, people remember you know they remember the high school days, they remember your parents, they were you know you go back to your old community, they know who you are, and and the, the conversations are kind of organic, right? There's <laughs> um, like man, you still playing basketball? And I'm not I'm not playing basketball, but I do have this youth program. Sure where we teach kids entrepreneurship you know you've been to my restaurant right you, so I teach them how to run a restaurant you know you I'm an author I, I you know if you have a kid that has a passion about writing and in the midst of that um you know what we can also talk about basketball you know we want to you your kid is playing tell me about you know what's going on and then we kind of go from there but I try to leave academia because the one thing's for sure too for certain Going to the next 1% of athletes in the world, right? So it is even more important for them to have that academia piece. So I like to start with academia. And then, you know what? If your kid is a superstar, let's make sure he or she is going to survive the classroom as well, because it's more to college, it's more to high school than sports. So I try to always lead with um, how important it is for them to get an education and having something to fall back on, because you can blow your knee in, in camp, make it to the league, blow your knee, and you're done. Then what? For sure. For then sure. what? For sure. And um, in our conversation, we also talked about, you know, you dangling in politics a little bit as, as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> tell us about that and, and, and your influence and your involvement in, in politics and why has that been successful for you? Um, so, you know, here locally, uh, politics is a big thing in Richland County, Columbia. Um, I ran for commissioner last uh, November. I didn't win. Um, but we ran an amazing campaign and I was already politically tied into the city. You know, the things I did that local politicians always participated, always reached out, always helped with my summer camp, my business conferences, my, my, all my businesses here, uh, all the politicians, especially those of color, mm -hmm. um, 
join in and say, hey, how can we help? How can we help you um, do what you're doing in our communities? So when it came time to run for commissioner, everyone knows how passionate I am about academics and um, how important I think it is for us to start teaching children entrepreneurship in the schools. Because yes. um, all kids won't go to college and all kids will not go into the military, but all everyone can own a business, especially if you're working in your passion and purpose. So I literally, um, commissioner came around, we were having some major issues here in Richland one. And I said, you know what? Um, I'm gonna run for commissioner because I know I can do this job um, and do what's best for children and be the advocate that children need. Um, from that, I didn't win, but now I'm on the planning commission for the city, awesome. <laughs> city of Columbia. And, and that's important, right? Um, looking at what's come, the infrastructure coming in and out of the city. Obviously, it generates money. Real estate is a big deal right now. Um, I just, and it's funny you asked me this question. I just made a call this morning. I was asked to run for council in November, mm. uh, because obviously when you run a campaign, there's a lot of um, name recognition that comes mm -hmm. with it. Um, and a lot of people got behind me and supported me running for commissioner and, and honestly felt that I needed to run for a position that held a little more power because we need more young people, more people of color that's actually boots on the ground in the community doing the work versus the politician that you never see in a community. Right. Right, right. Um, but I decided not to run um, for council. Perhaps I'll run in the next election, but I have some really big projects going on. And I just asked my political friends, support that, right? Support that because it all ties back to our community, culture, art, sports, and teaching um, young people, uh, giving them different avenues to change their circumstance. And that's ultimately what it's about, changing your circumstance. And you say the key word culture and that, you know, my next... You know, topic of discussion is, you know, here you're a point guard, which is a leader on the floor. Mm -hmm. uh, you started a business, which is, you know, great leadership. In politics, you have to have leadership. So, I mean, you're, you're a proven leader. Um, what's your overall philosophy of leadership, right? And, and how do you use that to, to be, you know, to help influence our culture? You know, leadership is, I, I think, you can be born a leader and I think you can be taught to be a leader, number one. I think it can be either. I get that question all the time. Are there born leaders or leaders are taught? I think it's both. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I'm a little bit of both. I think I was born this way, number one, but I think I also, I also had a lot of great people around me, a lot of great leaders around me that showed me how to be a leader. I think to be a leader, you also have to know when to follow. You have to know when to follow as well when you are a leader. And a lot of times, you know, if you see a guy or girl that struggles to follow, their chances are they can never be a great leader um, because we're not, we don't specialize in everything. You know, um, I think being a leader also means you have to have influence and influence is built from trust. It's built from being authentic and an authentic leader in, in a community or in a particular area. And when you have influence, people trust what you're saying and they want to help you and they want to build with you. And they may not understand how you're going to get there, but they understand the end goal. Sure. And I think to be a true leader, your, your people, the people around you have to understand the end goal and trust you enough to follow you, although they don't understand how you're getting there. For sure, good answer. Um, you know, transitioning into you being a mom, you know, with, with potential student athletes. Yeah. You're working out with your kid, he's eight years old. Um, 
you know, considering the, the challenges that, you know, you've experienced as far as recreation, things we talked about, what are some approaches you're taking with your, your, your youngins and what, what some things are you putting them into in order to get, you know, well-rounded um, with yeah. the sport? And, and that's a great question. I'll tell you, my, my eight-year-old, I did not push this on him. I did not necessarily say, hey, mommy, you know, he knows that I played in college, but, you know, it's not something I talk about a lot. He sees me watching LeBron, so he can see that I have a passion for the game because I yell and I talk to the TV. I'm one of those people. Um, we go to basketball games and I'm in the stands whether I know somebody and I, I'm yelling, I'm screaming. So he understood the passion that I have, but I never pushed it on him. When he was ready to play, he came to me and said, you know, I want to play. My friends play. I want to play. And he was horrible. He was the worst kid out there. He was horrible. I mean, and I just remember I had to walk out of the gym at one point because it was unbearable to watch him struggle. And I made up in my mind when I walked back in that gym, he would be better. I don't know if he will be one of the best, but he he's going to be able to stay in there and play. And we worked one summer. And he went back. He won the MVP, you know, his first year playing organized ball. Mm -hmm. um, but he has the heart to play. But Roman is very special. And academically, he is just, I mean, beyond. He's smarter than me, probably. But, uh, you know, I focus very, everything starts with the classroom. You have to do well in the classroom for you to even touch this ball. Sure. Um, you know, he plays the piano. Um, he's in dance. He's in drama, which is odd. He goes to a bilingual school, so he speaks awesome. Chinese. And awesome. at his school, all students have to do dance and drama. So it's not something he's selected. And he said, Mom, um, this is for girls. And I said, why? They're male actors. They're male dancers. It helps why? with athleticism, you know? Right. Or, like, this yes. will help you. And I, as the route I went, right, I yeah. said, It'll help you with basketball. You'll be more flexible. Sure. You'll stay in shape. So uh, he's well-rounded. You know, he's in dance. He's in drama. He plays the piano. He plays basketball. Um, he's in GT classes, gifted and talented. He speaks Chinese. Um, but he has options. And that's the most important piece. And my daughter, same thing. You know, she's four, but she'll be going to the same school. I want them to have options. If they play ball, great. I mean, all the merrier, right? It, it feeds mommies addiction to basketball and love for basketball but if they decide not to play a sport i can live with in this time my message we got barrington huntley you know when you talk about some of the things that students should be doing um, throughout their high school career i think when you're looking at ninth grade you want to make sure the, that if college sports is something that you have in your mind, and you should be doing this anyway, just it, even if it's not something that, that you have in your mind, just working with your counselor and mapping out your high school career from an academic perspective will be really beneficial. Um, making sure that you're taking, you know, at least four core courses a year, um, and, and really making sure that one of those is going to be English or language arts every single year. That's that's a that's a major requirement for Division One and Division Two. Now let's get back to the interview. But I wanted to give them options, and I think that's what we have to do for all kids, and not just the kids that are ours and the kids that we're raising, the kids that we birth. But we have to go back into communities and help our community figure out how to give our children more options and be 
mothers and fathers when they're none in the home. We go and we do our part to help them because if our kids succeed and they're the only, that's not enough. It's not good enough. It's not fair for them to have to carry our legacies on their shoulders without kids on the left of them, to the right of them, in the front of them and behind them to help them carry the torch that we'll leave for them. So it's equally as important for us to get into communities and help kids find more than one option. I agree, I agree. And you know, Raquel, when you go in the, in the airplane, um, I mean, we all wanna take care of our kids and all that, but when you go in the airplane, and they tell you to put your, uh, when the airplane goes down, you got to put the mask on yourself first, right? So yeah. the next question is, you know, even though you're creating these options for your kid, you know, what's, what's, what's Raquel options? Let's say in the next, you know, five to 10 years, what, um, what, what does that look like? What do you envision? There's, for there's myself? Options, yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I always have projects going on. I'm kind of a, a girl who will probably work until she is out of here, right? Um, I, I love the arts. She, you know, in early part of my life, it was all about sports and I loved every second of it. Um, you know, then it was college, getting your master's. And I did all those things for myself. I didn't do it for anyone other than me. Mm. Um, but now, you know, I am writing a great deal. I'm an eight time published author. I have a stage play. My first stage play is coming up um, in August, August 28th, which is a very big project. Um, I'm writing a lot for TV and and um, movies because that's just my passion, right? I've always, since the third grade, I've been a writer. And now I'm kind of living that dream out loud. And uh, the stage play is just a huge deal. I have a series, a TV series that I'm working on um, being produced right now, a cartoon series. And it's teaching entrepreneurship to children, kids programming. So that's kind of where my heart and passions lie now, personally, the arts and writing, um, having a really good time with that. But also my community work is very important to me as I work on these projects and I'm doing these different things. I always go back to the high school. I always go to my nonprofit and I ask my kids, you wanna help? You wanna come on set? You wanna mm -hmm. hang out with us? Let me give you a job. You know, I reached out to my high school because there's a very active drama department there. Instead of, you know, bringing in an adult to do the sound and lights, I'm going to see if there's a kid that wants to do it, that has a passion for sound and lights, because it's cool to be the rapper, but the sound and light guy makes more money. Mm. Let me show you this, too. So you mm. can still rap if that's what you want to do. But let me mm. show you the other parts of this business. So I teach the entertainment business as I'm growing and learning. I also bring the kids with me and I show them like, hey, I have to negotiate this contract now so that we get the best deal. Uh, we have to now cast actors. Let me show you how that goes. Let's, let me show you what that agreement looks like so that you can take care of yourself legally. Um, so for me, um, the arts is very important right now. That's kind of my baby, but also bringing the kids along and showing them that business as well, because so many kids want to be in entertainment, but they only know one option for entertainment, the singer or the rapper. Right. There's so much more. That's Because that's just all what you know, they portray and what we see. Um, mm -hmm. You know, before we get into our oatmeal recipe, um, let's say there's a, a young Black female that's in seventh grade right now listening to this podcast right um and she she's she's so tuned in to what you're saying um talk to her for a second let her know what she should be doing at this point in her life with uh sports and uh academics 
Yeah, I think the first thing I would say is you got to stay focused. There are going to be so many distractions, you know, so many distractions and you got to stay focused. You got to remember where you're going and you're going to have to make some sacrifices. You're going to have to not hang out sometimes. You're going to have to stay behind. You're going to have to do the hard thing instead of the easy thing. And those are the things that'll get you to where you want to go. Um, that sacrifice is not really for today, but it's for 10 years from now. Um, so instead of being mad or instead of giving your mom or dad or grandmother, there are a lot of grandmothers in our communities right now raising children, instead of giving your grandmother a hard time, take a step back and try to see it from her perspective. Take a step back, um, shoot the ball, shoot the lights out the ball, be confident, but also know that any day the ball can be taken away, but what can't be taken is what's right here. They can never take away what's in your mind, what you've learned. So while you're shooting the ball, educate yourself, figure out what you're passionate about outside of basketball, outside of volleyball, outside of softball. What are you passionate about? What are you great at? And start working on that because ultimately that thing is going to be your true driver. That's the thing that's really going to help you and it's going to help you save lives. So stay focused. Stay well, focused. I want to use you one more, one more game. I want to use you one more game because, you know, talking to male athletes, you know, it's easy, you know, when we're talking about social acceptance, right? It's a little mm -hmm. different. And um, we as male, as men, we deal with things differently when you come up, come up with distractions and peer pressure, right? Um, mm -hmm. Talk to a, a, a young athlete that's dealing with, you know, the social media distraction. She might, you know, got a, uh, you know, some, she, you know, like you said, you wait till your senior year to start wanting to be a girl. You know, maybe this might be a young female that grew up in a, a certain environment that's, you know, things are a little sped up for her, right? There's mm -hmm. a lot of challenges and a lot of pulls coming at her. Um, so talk to that young female about the challenges and things that she's going through in life. Does she want to go to practice or she want to go hang out? Like, Give, give a little feedback on that right quick, please. You know, and, and we're all faced with that, male athletes and female athletes. We're all faced at some point with, are you going to go to your girlfriend's house or boyfriend's house because mommy's not home? Right. Or are you going to go to practice? Right. Because if you go to practice, this helps you prepare for that career, that house, that car, or being in the league. Those are your choices. Right. And, you know, you have to break it down to that point every time. And that'll help you make the best decision mm -hmm. every time. If you mm -hmm. just stop for one moment and say, I can, I can skip school, I can skip practice, and I'm going to go over to my boyfriend's house because his mom's at home. So mm -hmm. we're going to go do things we shouldn't be doing anyway. Right. Because we can't afford to do these things. Or I'm going to go to practice. I'm going to go to class because this is my ticket out. This is my ticket for financial freedom. This is my ticket to do what my wildest dreams are. Right. right. And if you could slow down about both sides of it, 99% of the time, you're going to make the right decision. For sure. But you have to slow down. You have to slow down and think about the pros and cons of everything that we do. And there are always pros and cons. There's right. nothing that we do in life where there are not consequences and you have to make sure you can live with them. So if you skip school, skip practice and you end up with a baby in your belly, 
Right. At 16, 17, you already in the hood, you already struggling. So now you're going to bring the person into it and they're going to struggle. And now you're going to be a mommy and now you can't go to school. And guess what? He's probably not going to stay with you. Right. Or you can build this empire that you fantasize about and meet the right guy and have kids that you want and desire to have. Right. Right. Slow down and think about the consequences to what you're doing. And I think 99% of the time you make the right decision. But I'll say this as well. Sometimes it's not that clear cut and dry. We have kids that are taking care of their siblings. We have kids that are fending for their siblings and they may find themselves in a situation where they got to go mm. do whatever with this guy so they can take care of their brother or sister. Mm. She has a different situation. Mm. And we have to t- talk to her differently. That's where resources come in. See, sis, when you got that going on, you got to be able to say, Raquel, I need help because mm. this is what I'm faced with. You got to be able to trust somebody enough to say, I am taking care of my sister and my brother and they got to eat. And if I don't go do this, they not go eat. Because when you tell me that, you know what Raquel's going to do? Raquel's going to feed you. Mm. And Raquel's going to make sure you're eating. As long as Raquel is alive, Raquel's going to make sure you eat. Period. But you got to tell somebody when your situation requires you to do something you actually don't want to do, but you do it because you have to. And as adults, we know what that's like. We do things every day that we have to do. For sure. Sure. So. No, that's that's awesome. And that, again, that's just a topic, you know, me personally, I couldn't never touch on. Um, and, and the guests, you know, because we're more Mario oriented, the past couple of guests can never touch on that topic so i appreciate you for for chiming in on that he made a name for himself as a star for the college of charleston basketball teams in the mid to late 90s and now jermel president is doing what he can to make sure that the charleston area kids have a chance to succeed on the court and in life so i want to you know give some of that back to the community as well um, after college and after playing professionally I uh, started the Day Foundation just to, to be that wealth of knowledge to the kids in the community and, and parents as well. College of Charleston Hall of Famer Jamel President said he saw a need for this while he was in school. So he founded the nonprofit Day Foundation. And its philosophy for success is based on what he calls his oatmeal recipe. Let's go and finish together. Basically, teaches the game of basketball, focusing on skills, development, nutrition, and education. Not only SAT, ACT type stuff, but education for parents in how to navigate through the different levels of athletics. Um, in, in closing, uh, Raquel, we created something called the Oatmeal Recipe, which is uh, uh, skill development, education, and nutrition. I think, you know, being in the last 30, 40 years of being in this craft, you know, understanding um all different levels of student athletes, different careers, those three things stick out to me the most. <clears throat> so I wanna hear your input on it um, when it comes to those ingredients. And let's start with, um, which is the main main important part you talk about all the time is academics, right? How important is academics, not just from a sport, just from, but in general, because these ingredients can, can, can be used all, all different types of careers, all different sports. So how important is academic to you again and how do you apply it to your everyday life? I mean, academics is the one thing that can never be taken. You know, you can be paralyzed. You know, you cannot be able to play ball. You can 
take all those things, physical things away, what's in your head stays. You get to keep that. You get to cherish that for a lifetime. So academics becomes the one thing that is constant. You know, even when you age, you, you still have your brain. So academics has to be the first thing. Um, and I know some students aren't as academically sound and, you know, a C may be your best, but I know a lot of C students that are also, that are very, very successful. Sure. So take your C and take it proudly, but know whatever you learned when you got that C is still yours and mm -hmm. it cannot be taken. Um, so for me, academics is by far the most important thing because it's the one driver that remains consistent when everything else becomes inconsistent, whether it be with age, injury, or what have you. Sure. Um, the next one is nutrition. You know, I just hate to see athletes not eating properly, right? Because your body don't perform at its best when you don't eat properly. And then your mind, again, you can't think the fastest and the quickest when you don't put good things in your body. So Frame that for me. How, how important is uh, nutrition to you? Not just for an athlete, for, for everyone. You know, what you what you put in your body is what you're going to get out of your body. Um, certainly, as I've gotten older, I've been more focused on how I eat. Um, and with my kids being young, you know, when I cook dinner, I cook a balanced dinner. You know, last night we had big chicken asparagus um, and, and like a chicken rice. Um, my son would prefer to have, you know, pizza every day. <laughs> well, you know, or hot dogs, you know, that's not okay. So I think, you know, you have to know that what you put in your body is what you're going to get out of your body. And if you're putting unhealthy things in your body, you know, that's not what's going to happen. You're going to start finding yourself with, you know, high blood pressure, diabetes, which is rampant in the African-American community, heart issues. So, you know, whether you play sports or not, and especially for the athlete, you want to build the, the biggest, strongest muscle, you got to feed that muscle. You got to feed that animal. Um, so you have to take care of it. Um, you know, drinking water, so basic, but not. <laughs> so basic, but not. Um, staying hydrated. That is overly important. So many of us suffer from dehydration. We don't know it because our bodies have been, become accustomed to not drinking, right? And then it's not until you're sick and you're feeling like death. Because when you're dehydrated and you go to the hospital for dehydration, it feels like death. Um, it, it's important. So drinking water, um, eating balance is very important. And, and that doesn't say you don't eat any of the bad things sometimes. Right. But you got to know, you got to put more of the good things in your body to get more good things out of your body. For sure. And lastly, is uh, skill development, you know, and, and one thing that we being point guards, coach say all the time, talk, you got to communicate, you got to communicate. And right now in business, in, in relationships, that's the most rewarding thing that keeps any business, any relationship going is communication, right? How, how important is skill development to you and how do you apply it to your everyday life? Well, and, and it's different, right? When I think about skill development from a professional standpoint, from um, owning a business standpoint, communicating effectively is single-handedly the most important thing in any business, in any organization, being able to articulate your thoughts and ideas so that someone can carry out the task. Mm -hmm. But when I think about skill development for athletes, I also think about the time you have to put in to practice, the time you have to put in to train your body, to train your mind, because oftentimes your body can go, but your mind can't. Sure. Mental toughness becomes single-handedly um, the most important thing in endurance. Mental health and endurance is very, very important in any task. So when you're on the court and you're tired, when you're on that football field and you're tired, that mental strength gets you over the hump 
Same thing in a business, same thing when you're in a professional setting. Mental toughness is um, imperative in whatever you do. So as you're building that tool set and you're sharpening your tools, that always has to be in the forefront of your mind, building and sharpening the tool of mental strength and well-being. For sure, for sure. Well, Raquel, that kind of, you know, ends our discussion for the day. And I, listen, I really appreciate that. And I know, I know that the, the young females that's, that's going to hear your input will be pleased to, to just hear that, that uh, words of encouragement, because it's, it's awesome, you know, coming from someone that looks like them, you know, have the same thoughts and feelings just like they do. So I appreciate, you know, your wealth of knowledge today. Well, it's, it's been a pleasure. I think, you know, whenever we are working to help students, we're all working for the greater good. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're doing something that's going to help a child's life, you're working for the greater good. And um, the more of us, the merrier. The more of us, the more work we get done. And there's a lot of work to do. For sure. For sure. All right. Well, again, I appreciate your time and uh, make sure you have a wonderful week and we'll see you soon. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you for having me. Yes, ma'am. Have a good one. You too. So there it goes, guys. Another one in the books. Uh, we appreciate Raquel for her time and uh, blessing us with uh, her wealth of knowledge. Coming up next, we got uh, T Mac, Terrell McIntyre, that played at Clemson. And uh, the funny story is that we both were being recruited by Clemson at the time, but uh, Clemson gave him the nod. Um, which is probably the best decision Clemson made. Um, so I enjoyed my interview with T Mac. Uh, we talked a lot about you know, being a small guard and things you had to do to overcome those things. So um, that's up coming up next. All right, we'll be right back. What Jermel is doing with Today Foundation and the approach he's taking to help develop young athletes. First of all, getting them prepared from the academic standpoint, which, as you know as well as I do, Bobby, that's the most important element to try to get them to eat healthy, to be able to train properly, to get the proper education, and then hopefully for those who are talented enough to have a chance to move on to perhaps even get a free education by going off to college. But I love what Jermel is doing. It's a wonderful program. Hopefully more people in the community will get behind it and some of the businesses involved as well to help sponsor this program because these are the kind of things that every community needs. Looking out for the best interest of the youth, the future of this country is in our youth. And everything that we can do to help prepare them better for that is absolutely wonderful. And, and I can't express adequately enough my admiration and respect for what Jermel is doing and hopefully he'll get a lot of help from a lot of people. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Jamel President and on Twitter at President Jamel. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast as I'll be bringing you a new interview every month. New York City.